Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're happy to be back. It feels like we never left, I'll be completely honest, although it has been quite some time. Have to apologize to our award-winning award listeners. Uh, we took a month-plus hiatus. Why? I don't know. Boys are busy. What can I say? Busy bees. Buzzing around. Oh. But we are back, and better than ever, some may say, you know how it goes. We will be talking Mets, we're talking Yankees, and then we have a special segment for you folks at home called Kershaw, brother. This guy stanks. He stanks. 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 This guy stanks. And it's going to be about, it's more generally just about the postseason, what's going on, but yeah, more specifically the fact that Kershaw absolutely stank farts all over the field, gave up two ding-dongs on two pitches, back-to-back, Cans of corn, Jack Jacks. Hate to see it, uh, but we'll talk about all the postseason business that's going on. What is going on here, Miguel? Absolutely hate to see it, Michael. Anything to add before we go into a little Tommy Rowe? Just thrilled to be back. Let's go Yanks. Well, the Yanks snack on ice, ladies and gentlemen. It is time to hit you with a little bit of Tommy Rowe, Sweet Pea. How are we doing? Come on now, boy. side of this podcast, we're talking the New York Metropolitan Baseball. The Queens boys from Flushing absolutely hate to see the end of the season as it turned out. I think we need to address the elephant in the room before we even dig into anything. And that happens to be the fact that I owe Miguel, the big dog, a Peter Luger's steak dinner. That only includes the steak and an appetizer. Nothing else. There are no drinks involved here. That being said, you still got to tip the cap to uh, Miguel. Actually, you don't have to tip him anything because it was a stupid bet on my end. The Mets were 11 games back. I said they, make, they would make the postseason. They didn't make the postseason. But I do have to say that these Metropolitans made it very interesting. And I think Michael was shaking in his boots, whether he wants to admit it or not. They came within a half game back of the wild card in August. The boys had taken 15 of 16. Nobody thought it was possible. I kept saying all it takes is a 10-game win streak, and you're right back in it. They called me crazy. Who's crazy now? It's still me, but you hate to see it. We still are yet to make the resis. We'll figure out when that's happening. That's probably going to be sometime uh, towards the end of November. Um, you know, Once the postseason is done, everybody is calm their nerves a little bit because if I think if we went to that dinner and the Yankees were still in the postseason you would just be rubbing it in the entire time I wouldn't be able to handle it I really just hope that the Yankees don't win the World Series if that, if that happens if they do not win this will be a fine calm Peter Luger's dinner but if the Yankees win my night will be a living hell when we go to Peter Luger's because I know that you will not shut the fuck up to be fair I have not really said much about the Yankees to you since the postseason started I've kept my mouth shut for the most part good man Thanks, Michael. Well, let's let's just refer to this bet for for a quick second. Yeah, you know, say, come on. What I love about this bet is that it could not have gone better from the time I made it until the time it finished out. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. When we met, when we made this bet, mm-hmm. I thought you were a complete dumbass. Everybody does. For making it. Still do, but I, I really thought it. <laughs> and the thing about it was that. There was no way I was going to lose. It was a 99.9% chance that I was going to win the bet, which right. you'll take those odds every single time, especially when we're talking about a Peter Luger's steak dinner. Ladies folks. and gentlemen. But here's the thing. The Mets, oh, those Mets, they made a run. They got everyone's hope up. You know, I heard people, my good friend Jonah Offitzer. Oh, the baloney man. He joined the, the clan and saying that they were going to win the World Series. 
there was talk that Mickey Calloway, yes, former men manager Mickey Calloway, would become the manager of the year. No. All hope... Stupid. Hope was at the top of Mount Everest for the Metropolitan Faithful. Ah, uh, folks. And just like they always do, they mm. disappointed there at the end. It really ain't Yeah, absolutely gotta love it. And the Mets are gonna absolutely have to suck it. There was a specific moment in the season that I know was the demise. And that was at the end of August. Favorite game. Favorite game that I watched the Mets play. No, 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 not that. that it was the greatest that's, game. That's, that, 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 that's, you're going to have to go over that one. We'll talk about that one. Watching that one live was one of the funniest things that I've seen this year. I mean, watching that on we'll TV, talk you, don't, about, you don't see comedy quite like that anymore. We'll get to it. We will get to it. So, towards the end of August, this is the one the Mets were coming off of an insane stretch where they won like 17 of 22, swept the Indians... And then we have two three-game series at home. I believe at this point we were maybe, you know, two games back, two and a half games back. This was the chance to really take the second wildcard spot. What did we do? We get swept three games by the Braves at home. We then get swept by the Cubbies, also in Flushing. Those six games... And I knew it was going to happen like this. That came to bite us in the ass. Ended up taking the next two series against the Phils and the Nats. But I just knew deep down in my heart that those two three-game sweeps were going to absolutely bone us in the tushy. And that is exactly what happened. You hate to see it. Folks, things just then started to spiral out of control. And to add insult to injury, the Washington Nationals, a team built eerily similar to the New York Metropolitans, just won a thrilling Game 5 against the 106-game Dodgers. We said a month ago that the Metropolitans were probably the biggest threat to the Dodgers in the National League. Said that maybe the second team there, slight, slight change there, slight downgrade was the Washington Nationals. All of a sudden... I think the Mets faithful thinks that they could have made a little run at this thing. It really is insane how hot the Nats were in the second half of the season. I mean, I, as much as I pains me to say it, I got to tip the cap. I mean, with the dookie and a half pen that they had, it's like, Jesus Christ. How is this possible? How is this happening? The Nats are literally ruining, ruining my life at the seams. And there was one specific game. Favorite game. Where and, can you describe it to me in tremendous detail? I won't go into excruciating detail because I'm gonna get too pissed like off. I'm gonna get too pissed off. So I wasn't even watching this game. Oh, you should have watched that. I'm I very was, happy. I, that I turned I it did, on right at the right time. I managed to turn it on at the very end, and I was just as angry as I would have been had I watched the entire game. I see, and I'm getting the, the updates like I always do, like everybody knows, and I am seeing slowly in the bottom of the ninth. The Nats are chipping away at a six-run lead. It's 10-4, bottom nine, and slowly I'm seeing it creep up to 10-6, and then 10-7, and then 10-8, and I'm like, no way. I'm like, okay, let's just get one more out. And then I see Edwin Diaz is coming into pitch, and I'm thinking, you've got to be shitting me. You are not about to put in a guy who has given up a ridiculous number of ninth inning home runs. How many home, how many ninth inning home runs has he given up this year? It's, I think I think it's double digits. I would call it not enough. It's ridiculous. Shut the like, fuck up. Like, shut the fuck up. I would like to shut more. Shut the fuck up. Just saying. Kurt, so I so I turn it on. Perfect timing as Kurt Suzuki is stepping up to the plate. It is ten eight. I'm like okay, Edwin. There's two men on. Nice, easy strikeout. Nothing crazy. It's Kurt Suzuki. This guy is not, you know, he's not a, a gigantic heavy hitter. He's not a world beater. Not the kind of guy that you would be very nervous about coming up to the plate. No. And to be completely honest, watching that game live, even watching him completely unfold and the team completely unfold, all of this happening, by the way, after Gary Cohen famously said, after a Pete Alonso home run to fit them up six, that that was the cherry on top. You have to assume it's the cherry on top. Well, it's 10-4 in the ninth inning. Anyway, point is, I did not think Kurt Suzuki was going to come through. Thank you. So what does he do? Of course, he jacks a friggin' Ding Dong Johnson 
over the left field wall. Nats walk it off. I'm at my buddy Toth and Chancho's house, uh, his apartment in Stamford, Connecticut, and I'm watching this on my phone, and they know not to say anything. Shout out to the boys. Come on. Gotta love it. I go into the bathroom, I close the door, I sit on the floor, put my back up against the door, and I am just sitting there with my head down for a solid 15, 20 minutes in silence. Said absolutely nothing. The text that I was sending, because you said, of course, oh, the, big, really, the big dog I really said, job, I, don't know if you, I don't know if we can bring it up and go through, uh, go through the tapes. I don't think we want to. But all I know is that my mind was in such a unique state of confusion and turmoil that there were almost so many emotions that they canceled each other out and my mind went completely numb. And I couldn't think of anything. I didn't know what to think. This was a surreal emotion that I have never experienced before. And I experienced you know, a shit show with Lucas Duda in the 2015 World Series where he throws the Darnie and he throws wide and Eric Hosmer comes across the plate. I have experienced a lot as a Mets fan and this specific game, for some reason, because I knew, especially because it was the Nats, division rivals, I mean, come on. And I realized that they were hot at the time, but you had a six-run lead, they blow that, I was like, you gotta be fucking shitting me. You can't make it up. It really is unbelievable. And and just to contrast that when, you know, from watching it from my point of view, I'm watching it. Turn it on. Mets are rallying. Go up six runs. Game's out of reach. Mom. Continue to watch for some reason. You know, I'm with a couple Mets fans. I think that they wanted to see the end of the game. You got him. And within about five seconds of the inning started, it just all started unraveling. And when Suzuki got that big hit, I just burst out laughing. I thought it was one of the funniest things I've seen. It really was that good. It was mind-numbing. Huh? It numbed my entire body, down to the core. Well, my heart just was a black void at that point in time. It was quite symbolic of the Metropolitan Absolutely. season. So close. And the close thing is, that, that was the nail in the coffin. Because what did they do after that? They ended up losing 2-3 or three to the Phils. And even then... They swept a four-game series against the D-backs, right. and but e- got back e- into it a little bit. A little bit. But they had already even shot themselves then, in the foot. Myself and the rest of the Mets fan base knew, even though you sweep the D-backs, who were also in the wild card race, so that's a direct opponent that you're that you're facing right there. Sweep them in four games. Honestly, I didn't even feel as much happiness as I should have in that situation. And if Uncle Tran is not feeling happy, you know that there's really no optimism. If I'm not feeling happiness, who is feeling Mets. happiness? Come on. And so here Probably we are. Michael, because this sack of shit Yankees fan. Here we are, off-season, Mets fire Mickey Calloway. Well, we got some silver linings to this season. Pete Alonso breaks Aaron Judge's rookie home run record. You absolutely have to suck at Aaron Judge. The balls were juiced, just saying. Mm-hmm. Juiced no juice. Everybody likes a little OJ, a little bit of apple juice. Yeah, it's just sticking right into the ball, and it's fine. All right, so we can, we can ignore the juicing. No more juice. That's fine. Pete Alonso, rookie home run record. Stud. Rookie of the year. Great Unanimous. Year. Unanimous. Great rookie year. It's got to Una- happen first. I think it already happened. No. That's Baseball America's. Well, Baseball point. America, you know, you got to love Baseball America. He will probably living be. in America. He will probably be unanimous. It's going to be unanimous. Pete Alonso, rookie of the year. Absolutely have to suck it. Got to love it. Mickey Calloway. Riva Derchi, baby. You big old sack of duke. And He's the, gone. The names are starting to drop for that managerial search. Right. We got a couple big boys we got Joe on Girardi. the prowl. Joe, Joe Girardi getting an Joey G. Uh, what do you know about me? Carlos Beltran. We got Carlos Beltran, ex-Met great who? I got to say, I know he will be forever remembered for that strikeout looking in the 2007 postseason against the Cards. Adam Wainwright. Wainwright had a beautiful curveball. That was, that, I mean, that was a picture-perfect pitch. Picture perfect pitch. Swooped it right in there. What are you going to do? Shit happens. He also batted. Beltran batted like like 320 that season or something ridiculous had like 45 dongs you know you gotta tip the cap to him that season without him they wouldn't have been there they wouldn't have been there I also think some of these gifts that are coming out now on these pitchers and how it looks to a batter like the trajectory of the ball it's insane you could see now why someone's gonna also the fact that I was just talking about this someone's gonna strike out on that pitch without swinging yeah exactly and I mean you can't compare it to us because if we were up against you know a pitcher throwing Ephesus was I talking about this with uh, Boo Boo last night or maybe it was it might have been the tax man uh, shout out to the Taxman down in Virginia right now. Come on, that'll you gotta love that. Folks. And me and Taxman were like, imagine hitting an Ephus pitch. If I threw a ball, wait no, maybe it was Tyler. 
Was it Tyler Kirk? Might have been Tyler Kirk. I don't even remember who the fuck it was. Somebody. Give a shout out to everyone. Tyler, gotta love it. Gotta suck it. Come on. Taxman, gotta love it. Gotta suck it. Come on. We were talking about the EFIS pitch. And if we were in the box, and EFIS comes in at what, 64 miles an hour? Yeah, something like that. If that was coming in for me, I'd be like, holy shit, I better buckle down. But for a major league hitter, you get an EFIS, and it's like, you know, a little dookie cake. Now, when you're hitting, you know, it's, it's a 75 mile an hour curveball that's coming in, and it looks like it's coming at your head, and then it drops right in the middle of the strike zone. I mean, come on. How the hell can you hit that? Right. So, Beltran, I don't blame you for that strikeout looking. I know some Mets fans have some qualms. That's our SAT word of the day. Qualm. Uh, but Beltran, I feel like he would, you know, he's a solid candidate. He's young. I'm a little nervous of having no managerial experience because of the whole shit show that was Mickey Calloway this season. I want somebody who has been in the position before, been on a winning team, knows how to manage. Joe Girardi, to me, is the ideal candidate. I would also love a little boy named... Bucky Buck Teeth Showalter. <clears throat> Man's an absolute stud. Took the O's to the postseason, his first uh, year managing them. Turned him around. Then he did the same with, uh, he did, I think he did the same thing with, um, who else? Oh, well, he was the Yankees Bucky, manager. Bucky Show. He was the Yankees did, did, manager right before. Did he, did he uh, take him to the postseason his first year, though? I don't know about his first year, um, but Buck Showalter's last year with the Yankees was 1995. That was Mattingly's last year. Right, right, right. Famously, the next year they they hired Joe Torre. Right. Um, and and he you know goes on an unbelievable run. Buck Showalter, great manager. I think he's a really really good hire for anyone that gets him. Mm-hmm. Um, did some studio and broadcasting appearances on the Yes Network this year. Thought he, you know, he 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 really knows his stuff. I mean, he's he is a he's a baseball guy. Been around a long time, got a lot of experience. I think he might be probably a little bit better at that relationship management portion of the job that everyone's yes. stressing. Yes. Um, Girardi, word has leaked that he was not the greatest at that. I will say one thing about Girardi. People are, I, I think there's pros and cons, right? I, I love Joe Girardi. I wasn't a fan of him getting fired from the Yankees when he did. I mm-hmm. thought he deserved another shot with that team. Um, but some of the cons would be that Maybe he didn't relate to his players so well. Uh, maybe he was a little tense with the media. Anyone trying to do that job for 10 years especially probably going to be a little in tense. New, in New that's York, my point. In New that York, is right. the most high-profile... That's one of the most high-profile jobs have a tough in show. all sports. you got to have a tough show. Um, but one thing you can say about him, his players clearly respected him and right. liked playing for him. I mean, exactly. what they did that last year... Listen, they, they got eliminated in Game 7, but that team was not expected to make the playoffs... They had an unbelievable comeback in that uh, ALDS series against right, Cleveland right. where he he made that giant mistake where he didn't challenge the call. It led to a Lindor Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought that they were sniffing a, yeah, yeah. a win, let alone the series win, right. um, against Cleveland. But shit happens. And his players rallied behind him. He's a great manager. I think he'd be a great hire for, for the New to, York Mets. To me, especially coming off the season with Callaway, I'm looking for a guy with in-game management experience because I've said it time and time again pretty much every single episode Callaway was an absolute dookie cake and a half at that right I mean he was baking at three, 375 in the oven wow folks they're what's going trying on to, here the computer's trying to they get us trying to end push segment. us to end the segment How we much, will not end I mean, it it's not going to happen I'm sorry we got a little but, bit more to say here a little bit more so settle down again Callaway in-game dookie cake Girardi proven stud as an in-game manager knows how to make smart moves in the smart in the right time. Uh, again, again, Buck, same thing. One, one thing I saw on Twitter that I thought was hilarious today. Okay, talk to me. Someone tweeted out saying, "If Joe Girardi was the manager of the Dodgers, they would be hosting the Cardinals this Saturday, like or, or this Friday." We'll get into that. We will. We will get into Some that. Some bad bullpen management. We Girardi. Get, we, we'll, people we'll, listen. Yeah. People didn't love Girardi's bullpen management. They always referred to his binder, but. Joe Girardi knows how to manage a bullpen. Um, right. He's a great manager, and I think you guys would be lucky to have him. Yeah, again, he, uh, he's a front-runner, I think, in my, in my opinion. Uh, and I really want a guy, again, who has experience managing a team. So I, so ideal three for you, probably, in the market, or four, I'll, I'll expand this to four, would be Joe Girardi. Girardi, Bucky Boy. Buck Showalter. Mike Sosha, who I've not heard linked to the job, but not, falls in that category. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I had one more. Blanking on the name. Uh, Joe Madden, who oh, who okay. seems yeah, yeah. all but destined to go to the Angels, so you can almost right. forget that right. one. Right. Okay. I, some... I, I I agree with that. I right. do think they need someone. I will say a... one thing now. I think whoever gets Carlos Beltran 
is going to get a star manager. I really think he's going to be fantastic at the job. Right. Also good with communicating with the Latino players. Right. That's big. I just think he's a good communicator in general, always beloved by his teammates. Absolutely. Knows the game really well. But that's the thing. You you never know when you're getting a first-year manager. But you're right. And the Mets, with everything going on with them, they need someone with experience. It's going to be an interesting offseason. One thing I will say, nobody seems to be bringing this up. With the Joe Girardi thing. Joe Girardi is going to cost more than most teams are paying for managers these days. I don't know if I think that the Will Ponds, when push comes to shove, are really going to spend the money on him when they're also paying like $3.5 million to Callaway this year. True. I'll believe it when I see it. Maybe Brody Von Wagenen gets a budget, but if he has a budget and uses a significant chunk of that on a manager could end up being the wrong decision. You would hate to see it. It's possible, though. You have to admit that that's a distinct possibility, but we shall see what the Metropolitans choose to do. Folks. They are sitting on the couch at home. Uh, they did not make it this year, if you haven't it. heard. And they are steaming piles of dookie cake. You hate to see it. 2020 is our year. Big things are happening. We're going to bolster that pen. We're going to have a great rotation. We're going to have a great lineup. I think we're making it to the postseason next year. I will bet a Peter Luger stake on it right here and now, but we will. Uh, we'll think. I'll let, I'll let you. I'll let that one simmer in your mind, okay? Because we still got one Peter Luger stake coming up. Yeah, let's. You know, Either let, way, let me get my Peter Luger stake before okay. we uh, we talk. Ladies about and gentlemen, Peter I believe now it is time for a word from our sponsors. Gotta go to Moe's. Gotta take a dookie. Gotta go to Moe's. Mow down. Yeah, you gotta take a duke. Gotta take a duke, yeah. Gotta take a duke, dookie. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Models. They have every kind of sports, objects, memorabilia, whatever you want. They got it. You could walk in there and you could probably buy a vintage David Wright jersey. What else could you possibly want? Sure as hell don't want to walk in there and get an Aaron Judge dookie jersey. Don't want that. <laughs> Excuse me. Aaron Judge, not a dookie. Excuse me. Oh, did you fart, Michael? I mean, you might fart. Yeah, you are excused. Modell's very inconsistent store. It's very inconsistent. Because well, some of them are like I don't two, think you, three stories. I don't stories. think you gotta go. You like, know, it's not right. it's not consistent enough where you gotta go. It's a bad. It's a bad. You slogan. should consider it. Maybe you should. You should go. You should. I think you should go. I, I don't know if it's even a should. You could maybe go. It depends if you need something specific. Well, here's the thing. But, but they're very inconsistent. Me and Miguel, when we were going to Fire Island, this was uh, when was this? Uh, July, June. June. This was June. June. Going to Fire Island. I brought the mitts, and we did not have a baseball. On the way to Penn Station, we stopped at Models. We got a Mets baseball. That's a good Models. Great Models. If if all Models were like that, you'd have to go. That's not one of the biggest Models I've ever seen, though. No, the ones, have, the, the they ones have, in the Burbs were right. a lot were a lot uh, bigger. Burbs Models don't even get me started. So, I would say you should go to Models. Okay, that's fair because if you live in the Burbs, you gotta go. In the city, you should you go. should maybe go. Right, I'd even throw maybe in there. City. Maybe, but you know what you shouldn't do is you should not buy a Yankees jersey at Models. And you know what you gotta do? What do you gotta do, Michael? You gotta take a do, gotta take a do, gotta take a do, dookie. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it is Models. Absolutely have to suck it. We're talking Yankees. Take a big old dookies. Yankees. Take a big old duke. Ladies and gentlemen. It is time for everybody's least favorite segment of the podcast. We are talking the Bronx Bombers from, you guessed it, the Bronx. They have had quite the season. Despite all the injuries throughout the entirety of the year, somehow they managed to be the best team in baseball. It is the biggest bullshit I've ever seen. Everybody hates to see it except the big dog himself. But I'm sure you got quite a few thoughts. So, Miguel, whenever you're ready, jump into it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, Happy to have you. It is time to talk about the best team in New York, the New York Yankees. 103 wins this season, as you mentioned. A lot of adversity with all the injuries. Uh, Of their opening day lineup, only one guy on the team uh, made it through without going to the IL. Thank you. Thank you, Glaber Torres. Hell of a year. The baby man himself. The baby man. Uh, And team MVP. DJ LeMahieu, perhaps he's the best offseason signing. Unbelievable. Didn't was not on uh, was not in the opening day lineup. That is unbelievable. Thinking back on it now. Now, the playoffs have started. 
Rocky has walked away. He doesn't want to hear about the Yanks. Exactly. That. Who does? I mean, I don't blame him. Honestly, I'm you surprised that this dog is a Yankee. Fan. Surprised that Joan Dog and uh, Bully are still on the couch. But it's not Jesus Christ, G-Man Choi. What are you swinging at? Sorry, Miguel, continue. So, Yankees, you know, they uh, they did not get home field. But they did have home field in the ALDS against the Minnesota Twins. And what did they do to those Minnesota Twins? Well, they took a big old duke right on the Twins. 101-win uh, team. Uh, the 101-win Minnesota Twins. They were, uh, you know, I think people were looking at this series, myself included. Th th these were not your grandfather's Twins. This was not the same Twins team... <laughs> not <your> grandfather's <laughs> twins. They were not your grandfather's twins. Oh, that's, so, that's so stupid. <laughs> this team had a. <laughs> you gotta pause. We're on. We're on. All one take. Well, <laughs> these were not this, your grandfather's <laughs> twins. They weren't. This team had a tremendous lineup. Most home runs ever in a season. Three hundred seven of them. Crazy. They were a team that I think people thought were going to finally give the Yankees a little trouble. Uh, hence why they're not your grandfather's twins. Yeah. But the point is that the Yankees played three of, if not their best three games of the season against the Minnesota Twins in the ALDS. They are finally coming around and getting healthy at the right time. Um, the starting pitching overall, you know, Paxton, Tanaka, and Severino... They didn't have to do much, no. but to hold this offense down the way that the entire pitching staff did, the entire series, that was something that I think nobody could have expected. I think we were expecting a lot more firepower from the Twins' offense. Oh, yeah. Um, the Yankees' offense, on the other hand, there was plenty of firepower, especially in those two games in New York. Now, that's the first time since 1998 that the Yankees have scored eight or more runs uh, in back-to-back -back playoff games, so little historical context for how good the offense looked during the series. Tell us. Uh, D.D. Gregorius, who came into the series slumping big time, oh, D. contributed with a 400 batting average, 500 OBP, and 6 RBI, Jeez. including a huge grand slam that put Game 2 uh, to bed very early in the game. Yankees had like an 8-run uh, inning, or 8 or 9, I think it was 8, 8-run inning, against the Twins uh, early in that game, and they really uh, they ended that quickly. Um, DJ LeMahieu, big series as well, but perhaps nobody was uh, better in the series than Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres just looked like a, a guy who has been in the league for years, has been there a million times. He's 22 years old. He's making spectacular defensive plays. He's handling the bat. He had big hits, hit a home run in Game 5, or, or in Game 3, sorry, in Game 3, that made it that that sucked the life out of that stadium when he hit that home run it just felt like the yankees were, were gonna do it and he made a couple of spectacular sparkling plays he was just a breakout star absolutely and one other guy that i want to shout out i mean a lot basically the entire team deserves a shout out except for maybe gary and john carlo i will say gary played some good defense in this series gotta give him that but one more guy that i want to shout out in the lineup that probably didn't have the flashiest stats uh in fact, he didn't. He hit 333 with a 538 OBP, though. His name is Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge was so good in this series. And All right. I think what was cool about it was that he didn't have the flashy stats. You know, a lot of times you expect that your, you know, your MVP caliber player is going to have like the flashy stats that yep. carry you through a series. And yet, anyone who watched that series and appreciates the game of baseball knows that Aaron Judge looked like the most athletic, best player on the field the entire series. I mean, first of all, they did not want to pitch to him, and he was taking it, and you love to see that. Yep. When they did pitch to him, he was roping some balls to the outfield, but he knows that he doesn't need to do it all with this offense, and it shows his leadership and maturity and athleticism in the outfield, making web gem after web, web gem. He really was fantastic and I, I think reminded everyone of just how good he is because right. he you know his stats were not uh you know the, of the caliber of his rookie season right. Right. mainly because he was, hurt. he was hurt but i think he reminded everyone of how good he is and it was really fun to watch him play like that yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him play the rest what of the he was and this, well. this, this is the you know the sign of a player who is definitely uh you know getting well adjusted to the game he's not getting trigger happy with the uh 
with the bat. He recognizes when pitchers are trying to pitch around him, not giving him anything to hit. And what he's doing is he's just trying to put bat on the ball and get it in play. And that's exactly what he's doing. Right. That is a very mature sort of mindset that he has. And even at you know, the young age that he, that he is, you got to appreciate that tip the cap. Yeah. And so I was, I was really impressed with him. Uh, as I said, mainly the entire lineup, minus Gary and Stanton, played well uh, during this series. I liked the idea of continually putting Maven in towards the end of games. He was stealing some bases. He had a home run. I mean, he played well in his limited time. The, um, the fact that Cameron Maben is playing like this is also insane. I mean, come on, guys. It's really? unbelievable. And Cameron Maben, uh, you know, I want to I want to get to him in a little bit because I think there's a, a big question looming for Cameron Maben in the next couple of days. But before I do that, I just want to talk about the pitching staff. I mean, the pitching staff against this vaunted Twins team gives up, what, seven runs in the series? Something like that. I mean... Seven runs. Seven runs in the series to what what people would definitely say is a top five you know, lineup in the league. Probably, that might even be underselling it, but top five. Um, you know, to me, it was just awesome to watch. They held it down. Paxton, Severino, and Tanaka. Tanaka in the playoffs is... The guy has just got ice in his veins. He's con- consistently... Performing uh, so far in his in his postseason career with the Yankees, um, but but yeah, I mean all three of them pitched pretty well. Severino had to escape some jams. Watching him get out of that bases loaded in the second inning, he was playing the no H- outs. He was playing Houdini act when when they couldn't score between that and the Glaber home run. That's when you, you just, knew you kind of knew you knew the Yankees were going to finish them in three. He was also getting a lot of help from the uh, from the Twins batters i mean there were oh, yeah. a lot, I completely a lot agree. of pitches that he left over the plate i couldn't agree more especially to sano with the bases loaded sano yeah. really should have taken him yard i thought he made some great pitches to the second two two batters who he struck out but no doubt about it there were some pitches that if the twins were going right they might have uh yeah. done some damage but part of that was also limited by the defense that the yankees were playing in that game oh that was i mean was that insane. was the best defensive game i've watched them play in such a long time you had LeMayhew making a web gem. You had Glaber making a web gem. Didi's play in the ninth was unbelievable. Full extension. Yeah. You felt like maybe they were mounting a little bit of a rally off of Chapman. Um, and he just makes some sort of play. I, I mean, it was unbelievable to watch them play defense, yeah. especially in that game. That was maybe the best game they played all series. Uh, it, was the ti- it was tight, but you could just see something in it. And it goes back to something that we talked about on the very first episode of this show. I said in the in the preseason, you know, on, on baseball eve, that one of the things that the Yankees addressed in the offseason that was going to be crucial um, was timely hitting and putting the ball in play. And last year, everyone cited the pitching, but I said it was they were also, home, home run happy. They did not get the timely hits against the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of timely hits in that series away from actually winning it and flipping the script. What did they do? They went out and added DJ LeMayhew. People didn't understand how important that was going to be, but the fact that this team now puts the ball in play, gets the timely hits, that was the difference in that game three. Yep. You had Didi, Gardner, and uh, Didi and Gardner come up with those clutch base hits, Glaber with the home run, and they just, they, it, it was over. You know, that you knew that because they were getting the hits and the Twins weren't, they were the better team. Especially, especially with their D. I mean, there was one specific play where Glaber made, you know, some. They, were, they had a shift on. Glaber was playing slid D in, in the, the right outfield. Slid in the outfield, tossed it to uh, to DJ. DJ made a nice scoop at first, and it was like I thought that was that was going to be a guaranteed hit. Yeah, and, and, that, and, and that was going to drive in a run. And, and, you know, and, and how about judges playing right where he's running back to the track and and makes a leaping catch that maybe he's one of the only players in the league that makes it because of how so tall, tall he is. Right, but he's such a good fielder out there. The entire that game was ridiculous for them defensively. They just that was maybe the best game that they played all year. It oh, was yeah. that good, and it's going to be interesting to see. It looks like they're lining up to play Houston, so Houston's going to be tough for them, folks. We'll see. And and going into that, I think we have a couple of questions. Right, everything went as good as it could have went in the ALDS. Yep. New series, time off. There are some concerns with having that much time off, um, but. I would say there's a couple of questions for the Yankees moving okay. into Siri. You gotta relax. We're just Siri, talking Yankees. Please here. come on. You gotta relax, Siri. A couple of questions for the Yankees. One is gonna be, you know, CC Sabathia coming back. If he comes back, what does that do for them? You know, what kind of uh, innings does he get? Um, and 
just him being on the roster, I, I think, for baseball. I, it's more that him being on the roster for baseball fans would be pretty cool. Sure. It's a it's a nice little, you know, uh, magazine cover. But beyond that, right. I wouldn't look too much into but it. But besides his innings, the curiosity comes from who is he replacing on the roster. Now, with the roster, uh, you know, you have another thing that got thrown into the plans, which is that What's Aaron... the other thing that got thrown into the plans, Michael? I'm very, I'm very curious as to what got thrown into the plans. Aaron Hicks. Oh, the Hickey boy! Aaron Hicks might be healthy enough to play, so him and Sabathia are the two guys who might make the roster and shake some things up. I think if that happens, Luke Voigt, probably off the roster for Sabathia. Luke. Luke. I think Luke's off the roster for the, for the CS. If they want to put Hicks on it, that could spell the end of Mabin, but Mabin had a really good series. Hicks hasn't played in two months. Not sure about that, but Hicks' defense... Hicks' defense is uh, could be a big thing. It's solid, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Very happy with how they played. Looks like it's going to be Houston right now, 4-1, we'll but you never know. It's early. Houston would be a very tough matchup for them. I think either of these teams is going to pose a tough, unique challenge. But I'm happy to see them. Uh, they, they took care of business in the first round. Taking care of business every, every day. day. Taking big old dookie. Hey, <laughs> And one last thing I want to say before we... Uh, one more thing, Michael, and then we got to get some more... Yeah, this segment, you know. Oh. A lot of people I uh, saw talking about how, you know, this is to be expected, and, you know, this they just did what they're supposed to do. Like, how could you be so happy about beating the Twins? You just you took care of business. This is October. You can't take anything for granted. You see what happened to the 106-win Dodgers. We saw it. You just have to take it in. Nothing's given. Nothing is given. Everything is taken. Take Everything is taken. You just got to take That's it. That's the key thing. That's the thing to take away to our award-winning listeners is that nothing is given, but plenty can be taken. And with that, I believe we'll go to a word from our sponsors. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Take a dookie. Take a big old-fashioned duke. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Farms Insurance. We are taking big old-fashioned dukes what are we doing we're selling some insurance and what else are we doing we're taking big old dukes ladies and gentlemen taking big old dukes ladies and gentlemen take those big old dukes ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen we are farmers take a big old-fashioned duke ladies and gentlemen it's farmers insurance if you need something insured maybe you got a car Maybe you got a life. Maybe you got a medical. But we got health insurance. We got car insurance. And we got uh, life insurance. It's farmers. If you need some farm, farm insurance on your crops, we cover it all. Tomats, patats, corn, a.k.a. maize, uh, bean stalks, sprouts, fennel. We cover all... Fennel? Fennel, eggplant, squash, pumpkins, 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 pumpkins. We we cover pumpkins, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a pumpkin patch, if you're running a little farm, mom and pop shop, you're having people over to pick some pumpkins and do a little haunted hayride. We have you covered. You can call us. We will insure you so that if anybody breaks a bone on the haunted hayride, we will give them a free pumpkin. Ladies and gents, if you need some insurance, you know who to call. It is We Are Farmers. Take a big old-fashioned duke. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would just like to clarify something. <laughs> My buddy Joni, a.k.a. Joni Baloney, a.k.a. The Baloney Man, had some qualms with... That's our SAT word of the day. Had some qualms with my EFIS pitch situation. I said that it'd be tough to hit an EFIS pitch coming at 64 miles an hour. And Joni, the baloney man, said, I actually think it would be pretty easy. Any of us could hit an EFIS pitch. And I said, what do you mean? 64 miles an hour, I mean, you, you don't know what's coming. And he said, wait, do you mean that you're expecting a Garrett Cole 99 mile an hour fastball and then you get an EFIS pitch? Or do you know the EFIS is coming? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to clarify that you do not know that the EFIS is coming. And when you don't know the EFIS is coming, the EFIS comes for you. And then you're absolutely fucked. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I would just like to stand by my argument and say, Baloney Man, 
I'm glad that I can clarify for you. And if you have any other qualms, you can come talk to me after the podcast. Okay? Jesus, they're so good. It's insane. All right, back to the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, we're happy to be back. Uh, better than ever. We are going into a new segment. Michael, slugging some claws. There are no laws. I would like to remind everyone. There are none. There are no laws. When you're drinking the claws. When you're drinking the claws. The claws. The claws. They really gentlemen. need a Toy Story themed white claw. It's, oh, like, that'd be it's a humongous oh, miss. Oh, jeez. How do you humongous, even think of that? Humongous miss. You hate to see it. I know that it's supposed to be associated with children, but come on. The claws. It's our childhood. You have to Toy do Story. that. Come on. You have to do that. You have to do it. Anyway. So take notes, white claw. Come on. We're going into a segment. It's called Kershaw, brother. This guy stinks. He stinks. Stink out. Stank. He's a stanky dude. He's a stanky dude. He's a stanky dude. There might as well just be a porcelain throne on the mound with a big old fashioned duke. Like, you know when the duke is kind of like above the waterline and it's sitting there and you're like, geez, like. You gotta get that below the waterline because when it's above it, it's like then it's so real. You're like, oh geez, like that's poop. Right. There's poop right there. But when it's below the waterline, it's almost like the water in the toilet is this, is this like uh, in this transparent. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's this transparent shield where it's like, okay, the poop's not as disgusting as if it was just like a poop sitting on like a paper towel or like sitting on the table. Like when you see the poop and there's no water around it, you're like, that's, that's gross. But when it's in the water, it's like, okay, that's, that's part of the toilet. That's fine. So what Clayton Kershaw was in this game was a toilet on the mound with no water in it. And there was just big old Duke sitting in the porcelain throne. You absolutely... Hate to see it, folks. And I think that might be putting it. I don't. I don't I'm even putting it lightly. Yeah, I think. I think you're putting it lightly. And he, I mean, here's the thing: the dude is just, or should I say, the Duke? <laughs> he is the Duke. The Duke, aka Clayton Kershaw. He's just not the pitcher that he once was. The Clayton, Duke, the Duke of L.A. The, <laughs> Clayton Kershaw, the Duke of L.A. But D O O K. He is just not the pitcher he once was, plain and simple. I mean, but he's always done this in the playoffs. I, I exactly. Think it's, a, it's a little before overblown. this he had a what a like four a, five er four yeah. five postseason ERA. But I think his relief ERA was like a two seven three or something. This was crazy. I mean, it, it is just never in his career had he given up back to back home runs on consecutive no. pitches. No, chooses to do it in a winner take all game that they were cruising through. The Dodgers fans, you just hate to see it. You really do. And. The thing is, because he's not the guy that he once was. Okay, hindsight 2020, you could make that argument with Dave Roberts. But look, the Nats hitters, they are... They had two they, of them. They, they had two of them. Right. Two hitters. Right. I know Kendrick came through, but there were sure. two hitters on Rendon, the team. Rendon, who is a veteran. Very he good He knows player. the ball game. He flirted with the batting title. He's very good. He is a very good player. And Juan Soto, the best 20-year-old player that I think I've ever seen in my life. It's unbelievable. The dude plays, and especially in the postseason, this guy plays like a veteran. He's very he, good. He steps into the box. He's comfortable in the box. You know the guy's doing his homework. And the thing is, the Nats knew that Kershaw was coming out for the next inning. Yeah. They put it out there like it was, you know, like a They put it out there before the game. It was a storybook, right? They, they knew exactly what was happening. Game. So, no doubt. why Dave Roberts chose to go with Kershaw, and again, there's the hindsight 2020 argument, but look. He's not the guy that he used to be. If you put 2013 Kershaw out there, that's a completely different story. But you're throwing it. He got the one out that he needed when you put him in uh, in the bottom in in in, in the, the top of the inning, and then you send him out again. I disagree with sending him out again. You have so many guys in this pen that you could have thrown out there. You had Kaleric, yeah, Ryu, Maeda was ready. Kenley was ready. I mean, there was no trust in Kenley. They had right, no right. And trust I, and I, in I, I would, Jansen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him in in that situation, regardless. But still, you have other guys to go to, and you know the history with Kershaw, right? 
I realize that you're confident in the guy, but it's it's time to move on, and you you got to accept the fact that he's not the pitcher that he was. But I don't I, I don't know. I to me the bigger mistake from Dave Roberts was. Listen, I think you could debate the Kershaw thing all day. Personally, when it happened, I'm not going to lie. Also, it was a good move. Also, the Rendon homer was a nice pitch. I'll yes, give him that. Yes. That was a, just a good piece of hitting. You can't argue with that. But here, here's my Soto thing. fucking but, launched it, though. And he, he, he missed that. He The pitch completely missed the target. Inner half of the plate, Soto launched that 400-plus feet. I mean, he, he did, but the bigger mistake to me from Dave Roberts was leaving Joe Kelly in there for a second inning. Yes. Apparently, all season long, he... he, he uh, Struggled doing that apparently in the like eight times that he did try for a multi inning appearance, there was like nine earned runs. It was never a good idea, and to make him do it in that situation was the wrong move. Dave Roberts has had consistent inconsistencies managing the bullpen in the past few seasons, and now you wonder if he's going to get fired. I actually think it's a distinct possibility. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean that was terrible. Which is atrocious. a crazy, which is a crazy thought coming off the season. That the Dodgers had. Right. But I, I really do... I mean, it, you have to wonder. And you also have to take into... I mean, yeah, you, you could take into consideration the entire season. Look what he did. Sure. But when it comes down to it, A, this is Los Angeles, right? I mean, it's an entertainment city. Right. They thrive off of the fans, and the fans are obviously calling for his head because of this one move. Right. Um, so it's, it's like industry. there's a lot... And there's a lot of factors that come into play. It's like, can, do you put your trust in this guy to... You know, have a you know have another great season next year as the manager. Maybe you do, but again, do you owe it to your fans to a certain extent, who are all very anti Dave Roberts at this point? It, it was know? brutal, crazy that the that the Dodgers <laughs> went 106 games. I think everyone thought that they were going to cakewalk their way to another World Series. Right. It didn't happen. That's <laughs> why baseball is Bless a beautiful did. sport. There's nothing better. We you know everyone knows that. Uh, but congratulations to the Washington Nationals. They finally break through. It stinks. How the about, worst. Fucking hate the Nats. I really do. How about the I other really game? That went, how about the other uh, series that went to... Well, all three of them, except for the Yankees, went to five. The other one, though, ended in also crushing fashion for the Atlanta Braves. Holy At home. Jeez. Lost I mean, that game before Jack Flaherty even threw a pitch. Crazy. Insane. Crazy. I was look, I was getting the updates and I was like, oh my god, there's no way that this is it happening. It was so bad. The fact that, and to me, the crazy thing, and I love this, I love it, the fact that the Cards scored ten runs, zero ding dongs in that first inning. Yeah, that is a beautiful thing. The fact that there was not a single ding dong in that first inning, and Fulty just completely imploded. The rest of the Braves pitching staff completely imploded. It's I, I, that that I love that that almost makes up for the Nats winning a playoff series. In the, my the whole series for Atlanta was honestly just brutal. I mean, first of all, Freddie Freeman had zero impact on the series. He yeah. was horrible. Made a crucial error. He stunk in that last uh, series in that big inning that could have really limited the damage. Uh, you had Ronald Acuna who had overall a really good series. Yeah. so talented. Yep, yep. But he is just a bit of a of a punk. You know that I. You know, that's the type of... He acts a bit like a punk because yeah. he doesn't... He doesn't really... Miguel hates it. He doesn't hustle. Folks. He just doesn't hustle. It's I mean, punk. That that uh, that play in the first game where he hit the ball off the top of the wall and wasn't yeah. running, I mean, that changed the complexion of that inning. It could have com- changed the complexion of the series. Absolutely. Like, it seriously was that important. They lost that game by a run. He should have been on second base. Second base, no outs versus just first base, no outs is a huge difference. And, and then he's like pimping a home run when they're down 7-4 in the ninth. I don't mind the bat flips. I actually really like the bat flips. But come on, dude. You're, you're down like three runs in the ninth inning of a playoff game and you're, come on. He's a big old-fashioned schmuck putts. That's not, I, that's a little nitpicky, I will say. But I, you got a nitpick I do there. think that hitting the ball off the top of the wall and not hustling and being at second is a huge problem. It might have changed the series. Folks. Everything went wrong for the Atlanta Braves in that series. And it's it's beautiful. It All those bad. years of torment with yeah, you know, Braves can suck it and Chipper Jones can absolutely suck it. And you hate to see it. And maybe Miguel is nitpicking, but ladies and gentlemen, you can nitpick your nose and you can nitpick your friends, but you can't nitpick your friends' nose, ladies and gentlemen. And before we end the episode, we're talking with the Houston Astros looking like they will 
clinch this thing in five games. Yeah, I hate to see it. You have the Yankees playing the Astros. You have the Cardinals playing the Nationals. You got no real uh, horse in this race. What do you want to see happen? What do you think will happen? I want to see the Nats go down. Big old-fashioned Dukes. You think I, they will? I... I, I uh, I like the Cardinals in that series. I'll give a prediction on that series. I, I much prefer I the Cardinals, the, but I think I, the Cardinals think win that be, series. Between Strasburg and Scherzer, and against Strasburg, he was even in this last Dodgers game. Yeah, he gave up three runs, but he gave them up early. The rest of the game, he was cruising. They kept him in the sixth, and he continued to bottom of the sixth. He mowed him down. So, Strauss, excuse me, Strauss is a stud. I hate, you hate to see it. I hate to say it, but he's a stud. Scherzer, of course, we know. Um, so the the Nats pitching, you know, I think has the opportunity at least in two games to, you know, take the cards down. But in this situation, I would take the cards. You know, you hate to see it. It's it's the lesser of two evils, in my opinion. Um, oh my God, Jesus! You hate to see the Yanks um, season recap here. I, I I think one thing that's gonna be really interesting with the Nationals in this series is. In five games, it's a lot easier to be creative with your bullpen. Right. Using the starters in the late innings, I think that's going to be difficult in seven games. That's why I give the Cardinals a little bit of a leg up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, I'm not going to give a prediction on the series because I'm a little superstitious on it. I'm not going to jinx. If the Astros and the Yankees play, what do you think happens? I think it goes into seven, no question. I think it goes to seven. Um, it's going to be an absolute... It's going to be a battle of the Dukes... Uh, it really it can go either way. It really can. They're they're both such strong teams. We've talked about it on previous episodes before. I mean, um, I don't want to say the Yanks are going to do it, but they're so fucking good. It's insane. It's like it's just it's ridiculous. Their offense is is insane, and they're you can never count them out of a game. It's like, I mean, if they can just get past Verlander and Cole, to me, any other pitcher on the Strohs, they will find a way to demolish them. They'll find a way. So, I mean... You heard it here first, that's, that's, that's what you wanted to hear, it so I'm giving it to you, Mike. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I believe that concludes episode 10. The, uh... uh is there, like, a, like a significant... Like a, like a centennial or something like that, but for 10? This is our first episode with a live studio audience. Folks, you gotta give a big shout-out to Joan Officer, a.k.a. The Baloney Man, and David Bibbian, a.k.a. The Human Boob. Two, uh, two of our finest audience members that we've had. Actually, this is not the first time. There was one time that the tax man was uh, an audience member, but he was laying down on my bed for the entire time. Uh, but still, he was listening in. So, folks, you got absolutely, we, we love to have a live studio audience here. Um, Subway series. Uncle Train and the Big Dog was filmed in front of a live studio audience in Universal Studios, Florida. Uh, all right. Nah, without further ado, you hate to see it. You gotta give it up, ladies and gents. Come on, boy, come on! Yeah! Come on! Alrighty, and we will see you likely uh, towards the end of the month. We'll see what's going on then. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. Our schedule's all fucked. I apologize for uh, not having an episode for over a month, but you know what? You absolutely have to suck it. Rave it there, you, baby.